We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 67. First week of the baseball season is in the books. Overall, a very good week for the Yankees, all things considered. couple of rainouts, a postponement, but uh, that did not stop me from enjoying the start of the season. Scott, what's going on? Shocking that baseball doesn't happen exactly on schedule in April in the Northeast. When are they going to understand that we should put some of these games in different places? <laughs> I but, actually... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to get into that with you because I feel like this year more than ever, people were doing the whole, oh, look, there's enough teams in the South or with a dome or on the West Coast where you don't have to have games in New York and Cleveland and, and all these cold weather cities. Yeah, I mean, just you're not going to make everybody happy because there's going to be you're going to have to play in some kind of a cold weather place in the beginning of the season or someone is. So I don't think they look at it as much. I think they they make decisions on the on the schedule based on other things. But. Yeah, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's kind of fun to watch these guys have to play in snow occasionally. I mean, it's, you know, you're a professional athlete, so deal with it. Well, you know, another reason why they're never going to do it is because 
you know, for instance, if you're the Oakland Athletics or the Houston Astros and you have the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs or somebody like that, a team that everybody is going to go to see no matter what, you don't want them there on the opening series of the week of the season because that sells out no matter what. You want them there in the middle of June when no one else is going to be there otherwise. Yeah, there's definitely considerations, the, although I don't think the, the matchups really come into play as much because... I'm pretty sure the schedule was set well before the playoffs the year before, right? So I mean, it was just a it was just a complete fluke that, like for opening day, the 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 first uh, Sunday night game was the Royals and the Mets. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah. I believe that was just a complete fluke. Yeah, that's not contrived on accident. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems kind of stupid where the Yankees are playing the Astros, and you could just be like, hey, why don't we put this in Houston where there's a dome? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, it, it makes too much sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, despite the fact that opening day was rained out, um, it's overall good first week. Yeah, you know, we had to wait for it a little bit. So it was just uh, chomping at the bit. Monday wasn't the day that, that we were all expecting, I think. I know I saw a lot of people on Twitter complaining because they took the day off or, you know, whatever. They didn't, they made arrangements to, to be able to watch the game or be at the game. So, yeah, that was unfortunate. But the Yankees did a good job in calling it early. And I know a lot of people in New York appreciated that because you don't have to make that long trip and get there or even en route and then say, hey, the game's, game's not happening. They, they did it very early so people could make arrangements. And I think, I think overall it was appreciated. Got to give them credit for that. You don't want to make fans show up there and then spend two hours at the concessions only to find out the game is rained out. And they've done that in the past. They've oh, yeah. dragged it on. They've I've dragged it on to try to get that. it in. Yeah, so... So, yeah, definitely good on them for, for, for making that decision early on. They've pissed off Yankee fans quite, quite enough this year. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's give them a little bit of, you know, something, uh, some, some benefit of the doubt. Before we move on to uh, the good stuff, I do want to mention that this is the 67th episode, and I think you're going to like this one. This is Chin Ming Wong 2013 with the Blue Jays episode of the podcast. And I mention this because he actually started six games for them in 2013, and I have absolutely no recollection of that ever happening. You know, after the injury and he was off of the Yankees, he really floated around quite a bit. I mean, he was... He was just never the same guy for for quite some time, and I don't, I can't even name the, all the teams that he went to because I'm pretty sure he hit five or six of these teams. So it's good to see him back. Jim and Wong was a guy that that really was a, you know, he was a shining star for the Yankees at that time. That the Yankees needed some some you know some solid rotation help, and he was a he guy was that really guy. stepped up. Yeah, he was the guy that 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 showed or that gave some you know, some consistency in in the rotation. And I mean, he, while he wasn't a true number one, he was their number one at the time. And, and he was a guy that, uh, you know, until that injury happened, he was, he was a good pitcher. He was, he was always, always, uh, you know, keeping the, the Yankees in a game and, and, and was, was very effective. It was, it was really unfortunate how his Yankee career ended. Yeah. Back to back 19 win seasons. And it was having a good 2008 and that probably derailed the Yankee season. I know that 08 team wasn't very good to begin with, but he went down, I think, uh, first uh, couple months of the season, and the Yankees just totally tanked after that. Yeah, and the way he went down, it was running the bases, toe injury a, or foot injury, just an unfortunate. Yeah, and those, and, and it just never held. I never, I don't know if it was like the Linz Frank or the or whatever, like turf toe or whatever they call it, oh, but the, the, the dreaded turf, turf toe. toe. No, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, th- th- those you need that. You need that foot. And apparently he needed that foot quite a bit. <laughs> you mean you mean people need feet to play? People sport. need feet. Yeah, you need your you need your drive foot. So I know you were away this weekend, but did you catch any of the Masters? 
Yes, I did. I, I actually got back um, today, this afternoon, so I was able to catch a lot of the final round. It was, man, it was heartbreaking. I wouldn't say heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for a 22-year-old professional golfer who's already won the Masters is a little too far, but I don't know. Spieth is a guy I kind of root for. I, I, he's, to me, a very likable dude, and I like uh, like the way he plays golf and just how focused he is, and I like his the way he works with his caddy. I think it's a cool dynamic. So it was it was uh, pretty pretty shitty to see him uh, struggle. First of all, I was pumped up on Saturday because he was paired with Rory, and I thought that would be an awesome. Uh, hopefully, I was hoping it would be an awesome two days, the two of them battling out to see who would win. Rory didn't really have a good Saturday, and then Spieth, yeah, uh, what was it triple bogey on twelve? Quadruple, a quadruple, quadruple twice yeah. into the drink. Look yep. like me out there. I mean, when you see a guy absolutely collapse like that, golf is interesting because. It's just you. It's you versus the course, and that's it. And when it goes bad and it goes bad like that, it, it's fascinating to watch somebody choke like that. I mean, you see other sports people choke, but it's a team sport. So usually it's it's not all on one guy. Usually it's a team that that at least is is has a factor in the loss. But but this is all on Spieth. I mean, he's gonna be he's pretty much gonna be thinking about this until he gets back to Augusta next year. And golf is the probably the the the, the least amount of um, of error that you can have in a professional sport with with the way that you swing. I mean, like even a hair off, and and it could be a disaster. So the fact that you have to completely, I mean, this guy has all the talent in the world. Probably one of the most talented golfers on the face of the planet. And you saw what happened when the mental game went away. So you, comparing that to baseball. I, maybe it's most comparable in baseball to a pitcher because it's it's really the pitcher, uh, you know, one on one with a batter at that point. But yeah, it's it's pretty it's it's fascinating to watch, really. Like you said, just to see a guy with that much talent just completely lose it. So I'm glad he felt like us for for a couple minutes. He and the the thing that pro- just I can't imagine how he was ge- he had to give away the green jacket at the end. He just probably wanted to get the hell out of there. And he's got to stick around, and I mean, he, he has no choice. But he literally and figuratively oh, gave the green jacket to this my dude. My God! And that guy was kind of a tough. dick. I felt like that guy was kind of a dick. A couple of times I saw him, like you know, bitching at the crowd, or he missed a putt. I think on Thursday, and he was like, he kept hitting the ground, like blaming the ground on. The, I don't know. He just he just rubbed me the wrong way. So I, I really. I wasn't too happy seeing him win. Not that I'm comparing myself to a pro golfer, but a long time ago, I stopped getting mad at myself for sucking at golf because it's just not enjoyable at that point. I used to, when I was in high school and I would play, I would I would slam the club if I'd shank a drive or something. But why why am I getting fired up? I'm, what am I? I'm a, I'm a weekend golfer. I don't need to be I don't need to be getting mad over slicing one into the woods. It's just frustrating. I've stopped. What I've done in my golf game is I've just tried to focus more, as much as I can on accuracy and just trying to. I don't worry about oh, yeah, hitting that it a long way. Game. Well, I don't try to hit the ball that far. I just try to get it to where I want it to go. Like that's my biggest thing, and I've changed the way I play because of that. And it's just like a different. It's just so much more enjoyable when you're hitting, you know, be, between the woods and not in the woods. So <laughs> <laughs> easier to play out of the fairway than out of the woods, really. A lot easier. Oh yeah, a lot e- a lot easier on on my on my liver too because I don't hit the bottle quite as hard as early. So five games the Yankees played this week because of one postponement, and um, they're three and two. And I've, I actually saw this stat today uh, through five games, so it's probably changed today since the Yankees at Sunday are not playing on Sunday. But they're actually the number one ranked offense in runs, on uh, OPS, and hits through five games. And that's including a game they got shut out in. So 
and on opening day, they only scored two runs. So I know there's a couple lopsided victories in there, but overall, the offense is, has been clicking. It's good to see them firing early and and not getting off to a slow start as a collective, you know, offense as a, as a unit. So yeah, it's really good to see that the the fact that they're ranked number one is is, is surprising, obviously, and the you know seeing a lot of these guys like I think one of the biggest. I think you and I both expected Castro to get off hot. I mean, we I don't I don't know if we expected him to get off this hot, but he just looked like he was he was completely locked in in spring training. The one guy to me that's really been been a, um, a surprise in how much he's hit is McCann. I mean, it's it's been awesome to see him start off early and, and really hit the ball well and get into a good groove. So Ellsbury too. Ellsbury's had a lot of good at bats. Yeah. A- Big uh, bases clearing triple in Detroit. And, um, you know, this offense, we said it so many times last year, this offense to get its right-handed pitching when they're all in the lineup is is probably top three in the league. They've got a lot of great left-handed hitters that eat up right-handed pitching. But when they face a lefty, they do struggle. But you really see Ellsbury and Gardner at the top of the lineup against right-handed pitchers have such better at-bats, and and they are that dynamic duo that we saw for the first half of last year until Ellsbury got injured. But the two of them at the top against right-handed pitching is excellent, and they have been performing well in the games they've played in. I know Gardner was benched opening day versus Keuchel. Last October, it was Ellsbury who got benched versus Keuchel, and then uh, Gardner is sat uh, on opening day by Girardi. And he actually, I want to mention a quote. Yeah, hey, ben- benched is a strong word. I- I'd say sat is sat. better. Yeah, you yeah. can't get benched in the first game. But right. <laughs> not, not played. I want to mention a quote from Girardi. He said, the reason we traded for Hicks on days we face lefties, Els or Gardy, one of them will get a day off. I don't know if he's going to stick to this the entire season because, first of all, Hicks has not really had a great week. But um, it's interesting that he he under he understands. Listen, against lefties, we got to do something different because right. we got killed by left-handed pitching last year. Well, and there's so much more balance in the lineup now. Just putting Starling Castro in there, you know, adding a night another quality right-handed bat, having ha, or uh, yeah, having Teixeira healthy. You know, like when after he went down, we saw how much the the lineup changed. But having a couple of switch hitters in there, being able to uh, to turn them around and, and get quality at bats versus lefties, rather than just just getting shut down, mowed down, left handed batter after left handed batter, and and for long periods. I mean, it wasn't like we could split them up at the end of last year. It was just he had to stack them. He had no oppor- He had no choice. Those the unless you're going to put unless you're going to put Stephen Drew or Brendan Ryan at the top of the lineup, you had to stack them. Yeah. So. So yeah, he has a lot more. He has a lot more flexibility now, and and it's good flexibility. These guys are hitting the ball. We know what Starling Castro can be. I mean, this is a guy that that can be you know one of the best second basemen in the league, and and we're seeing what he's. I think his potential is this first week. So I, you know, obviously he's not going to hit 500 for the year, but this dude can hit. He can rake. So I'm I'm really excited about that, and obviously different dynamic versus left-handed pitchers. So I want to talk lineup construction for a second. Um, we saw Hicks bat second on opening day, and that's Gardner's spot against a righty. So what I, what I was thinking, Girardi was going through his mind, is that he just wants to plug and play guys. He doesn't want to have to shuffle guys around the lineup all, all the time based on who's starting, which a part of me understands that. But the other part of me thinks, against a left-handed pitcher especially, don't you want Castro in the two-hole? Don't you want Castro to get the most at-bats possible versus a guy like Hicks? Yeah, I totally agree. But I was very surprised when I saw when I saw that Hicks was playing and starting over Gardner. I was even more surprised to see that he was at the number two spot. I mean, 
I, I think I, I said something uh, in our you know, on our Facebook group, but the if you look at the history versus Keuchel, I think Hicks had five at bats with two hits and a That's home not run. A sample size <laughs> I, for Joe Girardi, it is that is in his binder, circled and highlighted, and he saw that and I, he put him up there. I don't know if it is as much. You know what should be circled and highlighted? Uh, Four hundred batting average in spring training and 350 batting average for the last month two months of the year last year for starlin castro that i totally agree i totally agree i i don't think i don't think that the the lineup construction was was it wasn't the way i would have done it for sure i would have put castro on that two spot and i think as the season goes on if we see castro continuing to hit and and proving to girardi that that he is a legit right-handed bat that he's going to start going up to the, the 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 top of the lineup. He's not going to really have a choice. I mean, you can't just roll out Aaron Hicks there because he took Gardy's spot. I mean, that's to me that's a ridiculous a ridiculous reason. Just yeah. because you don't want to flip flop guys on on different days. And and like you said, Castro's not going to hit 500 the entire season, but he is going to be better than Aaron Hicks this year. And I think he's going to be one of the Yankees' best offensive players. You and I are on that same page. The difference between the amount of at bats over the course of a season between the two hole hitter and the eight hole hitter is a hundred, maybe even more. I want Castro to get up as much as possible. I do not want him buried at the entire season in the eight hole. I know it's been working so far. Him and Didi seem to both be on fire. Didi's had a great start as well. And they seem to be not only close off the field, but but working well on the field. And and I, I understand that's important, but I want to maximize production out of a guy like Castro. It's funny because I think Didi's really gone under the radar for in the first week because of Castro and because of you know what some of the other guys are doing. But yeah, you're right. He's he's had a phenomenal first week as well. And yeah, maybe maybe this is Joe's way of just getting him comfortable in the beginning and just and kind of getting him into the season and taking some pressure off in the beginning of the season, where then he can start putting him into a, a place where he could be more productive and get more at bat. So I mean, it's a week. It's been a week. We have a very, very short sample, obviously. So we'll see what what Girardi does as far as you know, consistently rolling out what the lineup will be against left-handed pitching. I, I would, I, I find it very difficult to to believe that he's going to stay at the bottom of the lineup versus lefties at least. Um, so uh, I don't know if you were listening, but I was listening to Joe and Evan on opening day, uh, the actual opening day on Tuesday to WFAN, and Cashman was on with him and the. Uh, uh, Topic he brought up actually caught my ear because you and I talked about this when we did our our welcome Araldus Chapman episode, and Cashman said that a big factor into why they have Chapman as the closer is because they don't think he's his makeup can handle being the seventh or eighth inning guy. They think he needs to be in that high pressure uh, situation in the ninth inning close close scenario, whereas they know that Batances and Miller are going to bring it no matter what inning they're pitching in. And that is something you and I discussed, I remember, when, when we first talked about Chapman on the Yankees. So it was interesting to actually hear Cashman say it. Yeah, and I guess some guys just can't get as as, as up, as fired up as, as they would in the ninth inning and the, that, you know, going from going in at the in the seventh or eighth. I don't know. I'm not I've never been in a situation like that as far as, you know, closing a game on a major league level. So you you can't get to that makeup unless you're talking to the guy and, and you know, trying to dissect what he thinks. But some guys, I guess, are like that. You know, I mean, obviously, all these guys have uh, a different mental makeup, and he's been a closer his whole life. I mean, he throws the ball harder than anybody in, in major leagues, and that's got to get to his head. You know what I mean? He knows that. He knows his, how effective he's been as a closer for his entire career. And the other thing about that is, is we've seen Miller 
and Batances in in the you know seventh and eighth inning, but they've never been closers. Miller closed for the first time last year, and I mean before that he was not a closer, and he started as a starter. I mean, so this guy obviously has more flexibility than than never never being anything but a closer. Yeah, Chapman so was it, it bred makes the to most sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes the most. It absolutely makes the most sense. So I you know I don't know if it's if it, if it's him being you know uh, some kind of a. Uh, you know him to him saying that you know this is my role. I'm going to be a closer. That's it. Or it's just Girardi putting you know putting the dots to get connecting the dots, saying, look, this guy has probably the best stuff in the major leagues, or at least one of the guy, one of the guys with the best stuff. And that's all he's done. Why would we move that? So. And speaking of Miller, he pitched twice so far this this year, and he got the save against Houston, and then he didn't get a save because it was a four run game, but he he pitched well against Detroit, and so his his hand so far. Seems to be okay. I know you and I questioned if if that would affect him at all. Um, they actually did a zoom in, and he's not wearing a brace or anything. Off the field, he is wearing a brace, but he was worried that if he wore the brace while pitching, it would sort of get in his head more than if he just went out there and let adrenaline take over. Yeah. So, um, so far, so good with the Andrew Miller wristwatch. Yeah, and I, I, I that's, I mean, that was kind of my prediction. I, I thought that he would not really let this bother him he just he just seems like the kind of guy that doesn't let doesn't let things like that bother him he doesn't get he doesn't get too into his own head so i could see how something you know if you were to put on like a pad or something something on that hand would make you think about it more because you feel it and it feels different and he's i mean he's been playing baseball his entire life he's never had anything but a glove on that hand so the the second that you put something else on there it's obviously going to feel different and weird so yeah i'm glad that he didn't. I'm glad that he's uh, able to move past it, and I'm, it's it's a huge it's a huge non-break for the Yankees, if you will, because the guy is is pitching out there, uh, you know, and it doesn't seem to be affected at all. So, so the Yankees kind of got off to a rough start on opening day. They lost five to three, and this I think was five out of the last six opening day losses for the Yankees. So definitely not. Not good on opening day the last few years for the team. It's been so exciting, and then and then the immediate letdown yeah. happens. It just seems like it's just continuous. And this year it was different. Last year I think they got they got killed by the Blue Jays, but this year it was it, it, they were right in the game. They were battling against Keuchel. They scored off of Keuchel, which we didn't see all of last year, so that was right. something new. Granted, it did come from Castro, two RBIs. So the only guy that wasn't on the team last year is producing. But hey, yeah, that's what we needed. We needed that guy. They, we needed that right-handed bat. They scored off. Michael, so improvement there, and then it kind of all went to shit in the eighth inning. Um, before we get to that, though, Tanaka was pulled after 87 pitches, and I don't think Girardi was going to let him go much past 90. He's kind of been, he had kind of been slowly worked up in spring training, so 90 was kind of the target for Tanaka anyway. I, I would I would kind of rate Tanaka's start as a C plus B minus. wasn't good, wasn't bad. It was just kind of average. What um, I was expecting a little bit more from Tanaka, or you need a little bit more from Tanaka if he's going to be your quote-unquote ace. But uh, pulled in the fifth inning after 87 pitches is definitely not ace-like material. No, definitely not. You want to see him get more get more length with with 87 pitches. Uh, he looked good early, and then and then you know kind of kind of flattened out. But uh, like you said, Girardi's not going to let him go deep on the first day. It's not going to happen. So you know, we, I think we can see this probably for the first couple starts. We're going to see him have a little bit more of a short leash in in efforts to keep Tanaka healthy, or you know, in their eyes, to manage his manage his innings in whatever way that they're doing. So. Yeah, I'm not gonna read too much into it. The uh, you know he pitched he pitched well enough to keep the Yankees in the game, which we which he always does really yeah. for the most part. I mean that's kind of what we expect from him. So 
But a 2-2 ball game going into the bullpen, you feel confident with the Yankees' bullpen. Barbado pitched great, and then they turn it over to Betances and leadoff walk to Altuve. I knew right there it was bad news. Um, can't walk the leadoff hitter. So this is the play everyone's talking about is the, the swinging bunt by Correa up the first baseline. He was 100% out of the base path, but that doesn't seem to matter because everyone does it, especially right-handed hitters. Betances tried to shovel it over him to get it to Teixeira and just sailed it over his head. Uh, Altuve ended up scoring. That was the go-ahead run at the time. Couple more runs scored later in the inning because um, there was a, a close pitch that could have gone for strike three, didn't go for strike three. Um, so kind of a, just a messy inning from Betances, which... Is not what we expect. We, if, if we could have counted on one thing going into the season, it was Betances was 100% ready to go, and he was the one who actually let him down on opening day. Yeah, and the whole base running issue, I know a lot of people have issues with it. That you see the picture and how clearly how clearly far outside the base path he is, but it happens so often that, that we just don't take notice of. I mean, guys are, like you said, the right-handed bats. I mean, they have to cross over the plate. Yeah. A lot of these guys take a different angle, and they run up the grass to get to first base. I used to do it all the time. The it's most just- direct line to first base from the right-handed batter's box is not to run on the dirt. It's to run kind of you cut over on the grass to the dirt. That's the most direct line. They would kind of be running in an L if they if they did it otherwise. Well, and also you can get a better grip with those metal cleats on the grass. I mean, they they, they kind of bite and dig a little bit more. So you can get a grip on them better than the dirt. And he 100% did it to distract Patantis. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's exactly why he did it. He's a smart baseball player. That kid is no dummy. He's probably one of the mo- one of the brightest young ball players in the game. And he knew what he was doing. And there's a runner on base. I know the the play from what the umpire was saying is hit him in the back. You hit him in the back, we call obstruction. Runner on base, you're telling the pitcher to hit the guy in the back. We have no idea what happens. If the umpires actually call it, if they don't call it, it's a very arbitrary play. And there's, you know, Batantis just made the wrong call. When you're going at game speed, for to, for Batantis to think, at, you know, while he's trying to make that play, oh, I'm going to hit Correa in the middle of the back. I, I don't not I do not blame him one bit for not doing that. That's a next to impossible decision to make at that time. It was a bad play to try to throw it over him because that's that's almost an impossible throw to make. Uh, maybe try and get an angle and have Teixeira come out or, or whatever. But yeah, well, and that's I mean, usually what the what they do. Usually the first baseman is is giving you a lane either inside or outside depending on where the ball is and the play is and the runner is. And but Correa was so far in that it didn't really matter. I mean, there was no angle. There was no angle. The play was the play was doomed from the beginning of yeah, what, what was going on. And he's not slow. He's he's, he's got some wheels. Yeah. So I mean, and Girardi argued, and he wanted it reviewed, but but they can't review they can't review that. And we actually have a mailbag from Eric that I want to read. It says, "Hey guys, I really like your podcast. Been listening since the first episode. After watching the opening day game and especially the Batances error, do you think these kinds of plays should become subject to instant replay as well?" Are there any other plays that should be able to be challenged? Thanks again for the podcast. And if any of you are ever in Amsterdam or the Netherlands again, definitely let me know. Would love to hang out. See ya and go Yankees. So Eric actually might be that Yankees fan from the bar I talked to, the bartender about Didi over in Amsterdam. So thank you, Eric, for the mailbag. And I actually did some research on this after I saw that about what plays are reviewable. So quickly, I want to go through them. Here are the plays that are subject to review. Potential home runs, non-home run boundary calls, fair and foul balls beyond the bag, force and tag plays, catches in the outfield, 
hit by pitch, collisions at home plate, tag ups, placement of runners, interference for purpose of breaking up a double play, which is the new Chase Utley rule, and base running. But there's only three categories of base running that are subject to review. It's if a runner passes a preceding runner, if a runner scores ahead of a third out, and if a runner touches the base. So there are some base running plays that are reviewable, but not all of them, which to me just seems moronic. If you're going to make some reviewable, why not make them all reviewable? It seems something like in or out of the base path should be more reviewable than if a guy passed a preceding runner. That should be and that's the most clear. ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What are they going to be looking for? Like, so, so what if his arm is past the guy? Or what if, like, yeah. I mean, are they the are jersey? They the jersey blows somewhere? in the wind and passes. Yeah, them, it's so. so stupid. Like, you can if you see that the guy is running. Whatever happened to human error and 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 umpires doing their job on the field well, at the time? Well, you can't have human error call. if if they they've they've introduced replay to the game. So now there's human errors should now be taken out of it because if you can't have everything up to the eyes of the umpire and up to human error, then you should have nothing up to human error. It's such a problem. Error. It's I mean, this is something that's going to be argued till until for forever because human error is part of the game. In my opinion, it's part of umpiring. It's part of refing. It's, it's, it's just part of the game. I mean, if you're saying that, then, then there should be no umpire behind the plate and there's going to be a mechanical strike zone too, which I, I, I really hope that never, I ever happens. I don't want that at all. But a simple play like a base running play in or out of the base path should be reviewable. But here's the problem. Even if replay showed he was out of the base path, the way the rule book states now, it's only if he interferes with the throw. So the fact that Batances sailed it over to Shara's head, Correa didn't interfere with the throw because the ball didn't hit him. It's kind of like in football with pass interference, where if the ball is 25 yards past the receiver, it doesn't matter if it was pass interference because the ball was uncatchable. The ball that uh, Batances threw to Teixeira was uncatchable, thus not Correa did not interfere with the throw. So that's where the problem lies. Even if even if that was reviewable, it still would have been against the Yankees in the end. The problem with that, though, is that the fact that he did affect the way the ball was thrown. He didn't affect But an the, umpire can't make I that know judgment. That. I know that. I, I I know that. And that's why the rule is 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 very shaky. And I understand that. Hit him in the back. But there's so many things that could go wrong with that. Like, oh, Batesis tries to hit him in the back. Who's to say he doesn't throw it up the right field line and the ball We got a know, Chuck Knobloch in 1998 playoff situation all over again. You remember that play? There's just, there, yeah, there's just so many things that could happen. So... Um, the whole replay thing with baseball, I, I they seem to be instituting a new rule every year, and then everyone still says, well, what about this rule? What about this rule? There's so many rules that are being introduced, and it just seems like there's still a lot of things to fix. I know everyone is still is now pissed off about the base running play, and I know you saw the play with the Blue Jays versus the, the Rays, and when Bautista hit the guy's foot on the last play of the game. People are saying, well, well, is that the Chase Utley rule? Well, no, you just can't grab a guy's foot and interfere with the with the uh, the throw to first. So all these rules, I, I don't know if I'm for or against it. I just hate the fact that some stuff is reviewable, some stuff isn't. It just seems to be a big inconsistency. And there's nothing I hate more than inconsistency. But the problem, the other problem with the fact is that they're implementing all of these rules. To me, they're changing the game, the way that the game has been played for a very long time. And they did something so contradictory by in introducing this new Chase Utley rule where you can't change the direction of your slide. You can't go after a player. You can't change your path. you got to go directly at the bag. 
But at the same time, they get rid of the the um, the the neighborhood play that completely protects the, the guys that they're trying to protect. It makes no sense to me. So these guys are coming right at the bag every single time, yet the, the neighborhood play is gone. So these guys have to stay on the bag while the base runner is coming at them directly. It's to me, it, it, it's it's the same thing. Like if they're, the neighborhood plays on, these guys are touching and getting out of the way. And if the chase Utley's not there, rules not there, they're also going after the, the player. So I don't know. It doesn't really help the player as the, 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 the fielder to me as much. It's just, it's, it's making these guys think too much and, and change the way that they, they've played. And I don't know if it's protecting, it's just adding another element where the umpires are getting involved in the game yeah. and it slows it down. It, and it makes it ridiculous. There's too many goddamn rules. I exact. I hate having a game come down to rules and umpiring and, and maybe a mistake by an umpire. That's not why I watch sports. It's just it just it just annoys me so much. And if you want to blame somebody for the eighth inning of the opening day, blame Batances for walking Altuve. Don't blame the umpires or the rules. So that's my stance on it. And the other thing is, like, why do we always have to make a rule when something significant happens uh, on on reactionary? A, on a, We're a reactionary. Society. It is a reactionary. <laughs> you know, if that, if that if that game wasn't on television or if it was, you know, buried at the la- in the last week of the season, we wouldn't be talking about this because it wouldn't have happened. So the rule wouldn't have happened, and that's what pisses me off so much. Is that, yeah, like, okay, fine, Headley's uh, or Utley, Utley's slide was late. It he was obviously going after 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 the shortstop. Okay, fine. Not everybody does that. And not everybody is as intentional as he was. It's not a common thing where they're that intentional. So I, I just can't handle all the rules. Too many rules. I mean, I don't, I'm surprised the umpires know all the rules at this point. They don't. I'm, I'm convinced they don't. So I, I don't think the uh, – I mean the broadcasters certainly don't because there's always there's – always, you know, the broadcasters are always kind of mixing stuff up. Not just, you know, the yes broadcast but – even ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, whatever it is, you just always hear inconsistencies. So, well, that's because these guys have been playing from this for the, a lot of the same rules their entire life, and right. we've been watching the game the same way. You know what I mean? They're playing, we're watching, <laughs> and it's this. Usually, we're used to the same rules, so our reactions are are like the players. I would think with <clears throat> the old rules. Well, thank you, Eric, for the mailbag, and uh, hopefully, there's no more rule mailbags that we have to discuss this year because. That just there will be ruin the ruin the season for me if they're just talking about rules all year. But game two, the Yankees crushed sixteen. They put up a sixteen spot. And all right, let's talk about Castro's. We already mentioned how, how he's off to a hot start, but let's break down some of the numbers because this was really his coming out party in game two. So he's so far on the season, four fifty batting average, two home runs, and eight RBIs. And through the first three games, he had seven RBIs, and he joined the exclusive club of Babe Ruth, Yogi Berra, and Tino Martinez as the only Yankees to have seven RBIs in three game, first three games of the season. So what a way to welcome Castro to the Yankees. You and I said it'd be awesome if he can get off to a hot start because that would ride the momentum and, and you know he doesn't have any growing pains in the Bronx and damn has he got off to a hot start. Yeah, it's it's absolutely nice seeing this. Uh, you know, I was excited about this guy from the the, the very be, you know as soon as we got him, and you know just looking what he did at the end of last year, he's obviously continuing that. The guy is raking, and it's such a need. It was such a need all of last year getting this right-handed bat and a second baseman for God's sakes, just a second baseman that we can put in the lineup every day and have have confidence in. It's it's very nice to see and. Yeah, summer of summer of Starlin is beginning. Summer of Starlin, baby, I love it. The difference between him and Stephen Drew is is not even quantifiable. 
how much better. Say, do we, how long do you have? It's like it, the, the fact that the Yankees now have a everyday second baseman who is, I'm confident, will be an all-star caliber player who's 26 years old and a right-handed hitter. And last year they had Steven Drew, who wasn't even at 200 every uh, uh, for the season. It's just unbelievable how much of an upgrade it is. That alone is going to make the team that much better. So I love it. I can't believe he's off to this hot of a start. It, it, you know, couldn't ask for anything more out of Castro so far. Um, uh, and he already already got his 1,000th hit. So that was a milestone that we knew was going to come up early this year. Didn't realize it would be the first week of the season. But to have a thousand hits at 26 years old. I mean, I think you and I and, and Rich were talking about it in the group chat, how Jeter, uh, he's like 100 hits ahead of Jeter was at this time in his career. So that just kind of puts it into perspective at, at how long how long this guy's been around, but still how young he is and, and how much he's accomplished already in his career. Yeah, I mean, we got a we got a crafty veteran at the at the very young age of 25 years old, now or now 26 or about to be 26. I don't remember when he his just birthday turned is, but 26. He just turned 26. Yeah. So you know the fact that he's been around for as long as he has, he's gotten a lot. Of, he's been seasoned, and he's been in a he's been in a, a very, you know, I don't know if it's high pressure, but it's a it's at least a, a major market in Chicago, and you know with a with a team that obviously hasn't won in a long time, so there's quite a bit of pressure there, and. You know, just to see him have have that much have that much under his belt at, at such a young age is only going to help him, you know, play in New York and, to, in my opinion, succeed in New York. Definitely. So that, that the other thing I want to mention from that game too was the fact that the Yankees spotted Pineda with six runs and he immediately coughed it up and yeah. he gave up a grand slam to who was it? Uh, Springer. George Springer. Springer. Yeah. yeah. UConn boy, right? Pride of Connecticut. Yeah. I don't know if he went to UConn, but he was—he's a Connecticut kid. Yeah. So uh, grand slam to Springer, um, yeah. Jekyll and Hyde, right? That's what we talked about all last year with Pinedo. It, it's just so frustrating seeing the the fact that the Yankees get off to such a hot start, and and you know, watching Pineda go back out there, and all you got to do is kind of go through your motions and and just pitch pitch up. You don't have to pitch your, your best game, but don't blow up. Pitch effectively. Get through some in, eat some innings. Let, let's go, you know. And he just he just immediately the 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 Astros are back in the game, and it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to watch him. At least he settled back down. Yes, I'll give Th- that him was something that. that he did. Yeah, he, he did settle back in, and and uh, so hopefully that's hopefully he's 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 mentally matured a, a bit in the off season. But thank God the Yankees' offense kept it up though, because how many times last year did we see that that happen and they wouldn't score again? So give him credit for putting up a sixteen spot. Uh, the rubber match on Thursday versus the Astros. The Yankees had a nice come from behind victory. They won eight to five. Your your boy Evaldi had a really good first inning, and then that was the highlight of his day, and it went downhill from there. He's throwing a hundred miles an hour on the gun, but that doesn't matter when you're hanging splitters and hanging sliders in the middle of the plate. It might come in at a hundred, but it leaves at a hundred fifty. Yeah, the first inning and two thirds, because I believe he struck out the first two guys or got out the first two perfect, guys in the second inning. Perfect third inning and two thirds. Yeah, you hear that all the time. <laughs> but no, I mean he was. He was. It was that slider was the biggest issue. He was. He was leaving that slider up in the zone. First inning, the, the splitter looked good, and he just started. He started hanging his breaking stuff. And when you're doing that, when you're you're hanging your breaking stuff, you're gonna get hit because one, your 100 mile an hour fastball. 
it doesn't have a ton of movement on it. We we know that he 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 can't get that many guys out with just that that pitch. If they're major league baseball players, they can hit the fastball no matter how no no how fast it's coming if it's coming straight. And if you have nothing to work off of that fastball, then it's not as effective, obviously. So he needs to keep those breaking pitches down in the zone. He needs to be able to throw them for strikes, and he needs to throw them on counts where they're not expected. So. You know, he's look. It's the first run. I'm not going to overreact to this, and you know, hopefully he can he can grow from it. But yeah, that slider has been one of the the pitches that he and Rothschild were really working on in the off season. The splitter we saw come to fruition and really get developed towards the second half of the year last year before his injury. So I'm hoping he can really work work off of that splitter more. And I want to see something better from that slider because I, it, it did not look good on uh, on Thursday. No, and I want to tie that into how Severino pitched on Friday because I think there's a takeaway that I, that you can have from both of them. So on Friday, the Yankees went to Detroit and it was miserable, 32 degrees, much like it was in New York against the Astros. And Severino was doing the same thing Evaldi was doing. He was hanging his off-speed stuff up in the zone, and he would get ahead of hitters, and then he would he would throw a slider on like a one-two pitch, and instead of it being you know below the knees and off the plate, it would be at the knees and in the middle of the plate, and yeah. that's hittable. So he gave up ten hits. Now give him credit for only giving up a few runs, but but ten hits over the five innings that he pitched is way too many hits, and it definitely has to do with the fact that he was leaving his off-speed stuff up in the zone, and I. I this is not like me. You're gonna you're gonna be surprised that I'm saying this, but I kind of want to give Evaldi and Severino a pass for that because let's face it, it's not conducive to throwing baseballs when it's 30 degrees out. It's just not. There's it's really hard to get a grip on the ball. So I kind of understand why their off speed stuff looked like crap. It's funny because if if Severino had came out and threw seven. No hit or you know like three hit no run innings you'd be all over Evaldi so I I really so the only way the only way that you're giving Evaldi a pass is because Severino also sucked <laughs> well well but but hey here's here's the flip side Zimmerman was in the same conditions and shut the Yankees down yeah it's I mean it doesn't it doesn't the weather doesn't automatically mean you're going to pitch badly it's it's it, you have to be able to deal with it and I mean this there could be a number of things it's the first start of the season too so you know we can't really look into it too much we need to see a bigger a bigger stretch to see how these guys are, you know, how they've improved in the offseason, how they look in this season. So, you know, I'm, the to me, the jury's out, obviously. I'm not going to overreact to any of this stuff. So, I mean, we've seen we've seen guys get off to a hot start and then and then just completely fizzle, and we've seen the reverse. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yes, obviously, they need to start spotting their stuff, their, their off-speed stuff to make that fastball more effective. And another thing from Friday that I hated was the fact that Girardi decided to sit A-Rod McCann and Beltran on the same day. Listen, people were were mad that it was game five or game four, excuse me, and that they were guys were already getting rest. I, I don't I, I agree with Girardi on that. Listen, you gotta get these guys rest. If you wanna start getting them into a rotation of rest, then fine, because we saw how they broke down last year. But to sit all three of those guys on the same day against a right-handed pitcher when you could have a lefty Beltron and a lefty McCann in the lineup is just stupid. Why are you sitting three of your best hitters and then your B-Squad lineup has guys like Austin Romine and Aaron Hicks in the lineup? And let's face it, those guys are not great. I think Hicks will be okay, but Austin Romine's an automatic out. So I just don't understand why Girardi went with to sit all three of those guys on the same day. It just seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot. There's a, there are a few things here. One, this 
<laughs> I'll say this over and over this week because it is the first week of the season. And these guys are not going back to back to back to back to back games in spring training. They're just, it's not happening. When they travel, a lot of these guys don't go. It, they're just not used to this exact thing. So with the older bodies, the the McCanns, the A-Rod, the, the A-Rods and the Beltrans more specifically, you got to kind of work them into uh, their rotation and getting seasoned into playing, you know, multiple games in a row. So I, I understand why you give them the rest. The, the weather's awful. You know, you want to you want to give them the rest and, and make sure that they're they're starting off healthy and, and, you know, getting through that first month of the season. Because when you have an older guy, the first month of the season is high, high likelihood that you could get injured it's it's probably you know increased by however many fold because of the the way that your body works and just doesn't react to cold weather and movement <laughs> as well as it used to so i'm not going to get on his back on that i you know it's it, if, if i see that continuously again then it's it's going to piss me off when you're starting when you're when you're when you're sitting two guys that can turn it around and and hit from the left side so Right. So I know you said Friday was the game you kind of missed, um, but Ackley looked really terrible at first base. He he didn't quite look as bad as A-Rod did last year, but it was almost. There were two plays on balls that he absolutely should have scooped. A high school kid would have scooped these plays. They they weren't short hops. They were, they were three feet in front of him bouncers that were knee high, and he just could not pick them. So he really did not look like a good backup first baseman. And I don't know, I'm sure this was already in the works, but this could have added to the fact that the next day, they signed Nick Swisher to a minor league contract, potentially to be first base depth and also outfield depth. Yeah, this is an interesting move because one, Swisher has just been a shell of himself. He was just awful in Atlanta, has not hit in a few years. I think he's been injured too. I haven't really been following his career in the past few years, but I know he's been bad. He's definitely shuffled teams he's quite been, a bit. He's been bad enough where the combined uh, Braves and Indians will pay him $15 million to not play for them. Yeah, that's bad. So, you know, you, you hope that, one, it's a minor league deal. It's, it's, it's a minor league deal. It's not a major league contract right now. I think there's an out clause if he's not June, on the major league roster by June, middle of June, right? Of, Somewhere. June 15th, he can opt out if he's not on the major league team. Okay, so so it's basically a tryout for for a little while to see where he is. And yeah, we know he's got a, a a better glove at first, but I mean, Swisher's not even a great glove at first either. He's not he's not the most sure-handed guy as a, to be a, a backup first baseman defensively. I mean, he's not a guy that I would have a lot of confidence putting in at the end of the game. As no, defense. he's not a Doug Mankiewicz backup first baseman. Right. But but Ackley didn't Ackley look like a uh, outfielder playing first base for the first time. Can Ref Snyder play first base? <laughs> for every dude, I've been tweeting for every hit that Torreyes gets, Ref Snyder's in the minors an extra month. It's true. It's true. I mean, <laughs> he, he really that last week, man. This guy cannot catch a break. He's going to get traded. That's what's going to happen. I'm convinced of that now. Yeah. Right, so I don't know. Maybe Ref Snyder should get some some takes over at first base. And you know what? This I mean, this goes into the fact that having Greg Bird on this team would be so nice. It just shows what you know the depth of uh, the Yankees organization at first base behind Bird was 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 nothing, and that you know they're expecting him to to come up obviously and be that guy. So, yeah, I mean, do you think that you know I know in the beginning that Girardi and Cashman were all you know towing the company line saying that Bird was going to be their first baseman for the Scranton Wilkesbury uh, team for the beginning of the season, but you know there would be there would be getting the itch to for him to be on the team right if now. Bird was if, healthy. If he was healthy. Yeah, if Bird was healthy, maybe he wouldn't have started the year, um, but I think he would have been called up pretty soon after they saw how Hick, uh, Ackley can't play because 
Teixeira is another guy who's going to need days off. And he DH'd on Friday, so you would hope you could just plug in Ackley over at first base and he can be adequate. But two plays that he should have made and he didn't make. So um, I, I definitely was disappointed with that. Um, Yankees got blanked in part because of their, their B squad out there on Friday. But they bounced back in a good way on Saturday. And, um, you know, if you if, if you were to say who would get the best start of the first turn through the rotation, and if you were to say CC Sabathia, I would have I uh, given you a lot of credit for that. Can't predict baseball, Susan, right? CC is the only Yankees pitcher to get into the seventh inning out of the first five. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty unreal. And the other guy that pitched probably the best as well was Nova. It's funny coming because he came in. He got and, the and long pitched. save. Yeah, exactly. So the two guys that were fighting for the fifth spot pitched probably that the, were the two best pitchers this week, which is which is definitely funny. Yeah, you can't predict. You cannot predict baseball. But you know, he looked. CC looked like a guy who could pitch. He looked like he was a, a guy that was was kind of dealing with what he had at this point in his career, and that he was controlling it. I mean. You know, you have notes in here saying that he didn't touch 90 miles an hour. If he did, it was it was barely. And but he was keeping guys off balance. He was pitching. He was eating the weight at the corners. He was keeping, um, you know, again in fastball counts. He was he was throwing guys throwing pitches that the the batters were not expecting. So it was good to see him pitch like that and, and be effective. And I really hope he can sustain it because he needs to. I mean, he's not getting that velocity back. This is not him anymore. What we're seeing now is the new CC, and I really hope that he can control that that guy. So a couple things from this start that I want to mention. First of all, uh, for CC Sabathia, a lefty to go up against that lineup, which is a, a very heavy right-handed hitting lineup, I think I tweeted this, that the Tigers probably have the second best two through five in the league. I think the Blue Jays still have the number one. But to go from Upton to Miguel Cabrera to Victor Martinez to J.D. Martinez at two through five, that's a gauntlet. And for a guy like CeCe to have to go through all those right-handed hitters is pretty impressive. Like you said, mixing in his off-speed stuff kept, kept the guys off balance. So give him a lot of credit there. But on the flip side... He pitched really well in Detroit last year, too, at the beginning of the season. We said, oh, maybe CeCe's going to have a good year. That's a great ballpark for him to pitch in. It's massive, and it was 30 degrees out, so the ball was not traveling. So all, I, I think the cold and the size of the ballpark, ballpark excuse me, actually helped CeCe in that case. When the weather heats up and he's pitching in the middle of August in, in Yankee Stadium, some of those fly balls that were warning track power are going to be 10 rows deep at Yankee Stadium. So... Um, you know, a little good news, bad news from that start, I think, from CC. If you're if you're looking at it with an objective eye. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, obviously, this is exactly why you can't take too much from a, from one week of baseball when it's you know in April in 30 degree weather, 40 degree weather. You just you just can't really overjudge it because it might not be true. What you're watching might be a mirage. You just have no idea until a little bit further into the season. But the other thing is, is I, I look for Girardi to to really try to as much as possible, you know, without without making too many alterations, but having CC pitch on the road. I mean, we know how CC is the, the Yankee Stadium at this point in his career is not a great place for him to pitch. So I, I would I would definitely expect to see him getting a lot more road starts and, and possibly Joe, you know, tweaking it in, in ways that Joe Girardi does to to you know put CC in a better situation to succeed. Yeah, and and try and avoid him pitching against the Blue Jays at all costs. Please do, yes. <laughs> um Sunday, today, they were going to be Sunday Night Baseball, and I'm actually kind of happy they were postponed. I was uh, I was not looking forward. I, I've had a long day of travel. I was not looking forward to having to stay up till probably midnight and watch this game tonight. 
but um, the, the the bad thing is they don't go back to Detroit this year, so I don't know when they're going to make it up. It's going to have to be on a common off day when they're in the area. They're going to have to fly to Detroit and, and make that game up. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too upset. I'm exhausted right now, so I have no qualms about not being up till till midnight. Although it was going to be fun to watch it in the in the lights and and check it out. But you know, look, I, I don't think this this really hurts the Yankees very much at all. Honestly, I think it's it's not a bad thing for them to get some some a few more off days in the first week. I think it actually helps helps them out, get some uh, some good rest, rest up for for Toronto coming up. So yeah. I think it's it actually does help. So they actually have two days come uh, off because they're not playing Monday either. They play three in Toronto, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The Blue Jays so far uh, on the season are three and four. They just played the Red Sox. Um uh, that was uh, I, I watched that game on Saturday. Tons of runs were scored. I don't know if you saw this, but Sandoval, you see Sandoval's belt explode. I did see that. Yeah, one of the guys <laughs> that listens to the show actually sent sent us a a message on our Facebook page with a with a, a vine of that. It was pretty funny. Hilarious. Just so fat, your belt can't even handle it. Um, man, I man. love the zoom in too. There's one of them that was a zoomed in <laughs> just, on just the belt popping. Just if you're if you're the Red Sox, if you're Dombrowski, you're like I seriously have to have this guy in the books for 95 million bucks. It's so fat his belt can't even stay together. <laughs> Beautiful, I love it, I love it. But uh, the Yankees are in Toronto for three, and they got their top three going: Tanaka, Pineda, Evaldi in the in the three games. The Yankees will face Stroman on Thursday, so it'll be Evaldi versus Stroman, but. Um, should be great pitching matchups. That's who you want going against the Blue Jays. And uh, another thing I think key to look at in this series is Donaldson's a little banged up. He has a strained calf muscle, and he he was only DHing I think on Sunday. I think he sat Friday and Saturday, or at least Friday. So if he's not a hundred percent, Donaldson's probably their best player, MVP last year. So that could help the Yankees out as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the everything's lining up nicely for for the Yankees to face the Blue Jays for the first time. Obviously, they're going to have they'll be fully rested. The whole team will be fully rested. Bullpen fully rested. I mean, granted, we've played a week, but you know, getting those two days off I think helps them. And uh, and yeah, you know, I think we have we're lined up well for our pitching. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a good series. I'd like to I'd like to take uh, two or three in Toronto. That'd be nice to shut up that Toronto fan base, the newly formed Toronto fan base and uh, and really just kind of throw an early dart on these guys and say, "Hey, you know, you know, this we're we're a better team this year. Let's uh let's 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 start taking some um some series in the AL East." And it would be nice to see Tanaka, Pineda, and Avaldi pitch in in controlled elements in Toronto. I'm sure the dome will be closed, so there's not going to be any weather issues. So right. it'll, it'll be a good thing to look forward to to see if Evaldi can get his breaking stuff down and if Tanaka and Pineda can make it through the fifth innings this this time around. Uh, so after the Toronto series, the Yankees will play three at home versus Seattle. Our boy Robbie Cano, who got off to a scalding start, four home runs, which I attributed to the fact that he shaved, so he no longer looks like David Ortiz. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad way to to start your season is to not look like David Ortiz. That's that's the way I would start my season too. But yeah, he's he's a hot start, and uh, he just doesn't have much around him, man. It's just I, I don't know Nelson Cruz. Uh, there's there's some other. There's just not. It's just not an exciting team, and in Cano, they they lead the league in uh, home runs, and they're two and four. So that that tells you all you need to know about the Mariners. And on opening day, they lost, and King Felix pitched a one hitter. Yeah. <laughs> So I think you're going to see a lot of that from them this year. Yeah, but yeah, Cano back in the Bronx. Let's see what happens. Yeah, we we won't be missing him anymore because we won't yeah, have we Stephen Drew. We have Castro, so we're fine. I with hope Cano. I hope Castro goes bonkers. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Um, all right, so putting you on the spot here, uh, 
First week of the season's in the books. What's your biggest takeaway? I think it's the offense. The offense is 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 hitting. I mean, we've we've kind of we've had some some rough starting pitching, I think, in the first week, and we've been able to overcome that for the most part. You know, obviously getting blanked by by Zimmerman was uh, wasn't what you want to see, but but like you said, we had a lot of our guys out, and I think when you change the lineup that much, it, it's a it's a different dynamic. So it's good to see the bats going off off early. Castro obviously is the big news. The big news in the in the in the city is the is Starling Castro, and you know there's so many things that are. I love the the Susan Waldman and John Sterling the. Uh, the the Starsky and Dutch comment. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. Starlight, fact, Starbright, Starlin hit that one with all his might. Was Starling uh, Sterling's call, which which is just fantastic. I thought it was Darlin, Starlin, Darlin, yeah, or something. He changed it on the next day because he oh, realized Darlin, Starlin was crappy. Thank God, I didn't even realize he changed it. That's that's a good one. So yeah, that's I think Starlin obviously is gonna is taking the city you know by storm in the very beginning, and I'm really hoping he can kind of he can keep this up and and really uh, and really kind of reinvigorate the fan base by uh, by bringing in a, another star at second base that we haven't had in, since Robbie Cano. So I hope he has a really big year, a really big uh, series against Seattle. The thing I took away was the fact that Ellsbury looks looks healthy and ready to go for the season, and hopefully he stays healthy this year. I think if he stays healthy, he's going to have a good year, but that's a big if because right. dude has some question marks. But but uh, he's been on fire, which is great to see. That top of the order with him hitting is is totally a different element than it was last year in the second half, so that was great to see. And just the, just the fact that right now we have such a different lineup than we did at the end of last year. The fact that we have right-handed pitching or right-handed right-handed batters that can go against left-handed pitching makes this team, you know, so much more effective on a daily basis and gives Girardi really a full deck of cards because at the end of last year he didn't have that. I mean, if you look at the end of last year how we ended our baseball season and now we see the beginning of this season, he had a depleted bullpen, he had a depleted rotation, he had a depleted lineup. Everything he everything honestly, if you look at it, I mean, he, he did everything yeah. he possibly the could. The team was running on empty last year. Yeah, everything he possibly could to keep us in a position to win and get into the the playoff game. So, you know, it's nice to see a lot more balance now. And and obviously we haven't even seen the the big three at the end of the bullpen. So yeah, I think uh, all positive things so far. So uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Yankees underscore talk. Scott is at Scott Reinen and at Bronx Pinstripes is the website and the podcast. I know we teased it last week. Um, the the rain out on opening day and everything kind of threw a wrench in our our midweek blab. Maybe we'll get that going this week. Maybe we'll do that Thursday night or something like that. But uh, So keep an eye out for that. I, I do want to start doing that this year, and I think as we heat up in, in the season, we'll, we'll get that going. Submit to the podcast, uh, bronxpinstripes.com uh, slash podcast. Call the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. Scott, any last words before we get out of here? Good week of baseball. Looking forward to another week and then seeing how we uh, how we do with another another week of baseball. I love love seeing uh, some some sustained success. So hopefully the, the guys can keep it up. Good stuff. Peace out, guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 